All right, all right, church. Go ahead and find your seats. Go ahead and find your seats. Everybody recover from Thanksgiving or recovering from Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's good. Hey, I like the fact, like, I, I know Grace, listen, I'm not going to know rep you today. I love it. Like, I love that. Like, I grew up playing sport. I know you can't tell, right? I know I don't look like it now. Grew up playing sports. So when I get yelled at by a coach, I'm like, uh-huh, right? So, like, when Grace last time was like, she no repped us, I'm like, yes, ma'am, I will worship, right? So I thought, <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, band sounds awesome today. Great. I love, I love, we're singing Christmas music. Like, it's fantastic. It's great. Um, hey, we get to do something. I know here at Adventure, we we kind of on purpose, are a little, like, non-traditional, right? Like, we, we get that. That's kind of who we are. But some of the things we get to do here, I love the fact that we dive back into some, some pretty old traditions. Uh, and one of those traditions is Advent, right? So this is a, this is a time of year that's it's called the Advent season. And so this goes back to, you know, way, way back. We're going to talk more about it today. Like, back into, like, traditional liturgical calendar um, so we're going to celebrate Advent, and to do that, right, we, we, I said a couple weeks ago, like, we're, we're getting our student ministry more involved in what happens in the church, and so I've asked some of our students to kind of be a part of this, and so Zoe, if you want to come on up. Uh, Zoe's going to set up this first week, so each week in Advent, each week kind of has a theme, right, each week has kind of a focus, and so Zoe's going to set up the focus for this week, um, and, we're, and each week as we set up that focus, as we set up that theme, you light a candle and you kind of work your way around. Like it's, it's, a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool deal. We'll unpack it more today. But I'm going to hand it over to Zoe who's going to kind of set up what we're talking about and really kind of what this first opening week of Advent is all about. So take it away, Zoe. Today is the beginning of the first week of Advent. This week is built on and built around hope. Hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me pray for us while Zoe lights this candle. Jesus, we, today we just say thanks that the, the beginning of this season, the focal point is on hope. And just like Zoe read in, that, in, that, in Corinthians, I love the way that, that Paul unpacks this, is that even though right now it feels like, maybe for some of us and maybe with all the pressure that, that comes with this season, it feels like we're, we're wasting away on the outside, but on the inside we're being renewed every single day because of you. And so, Jesus, in this season, we want to we switch our focus off of ourselves, off of commercialism, off of kind of the I want, I want, I want, gimme, gimme, gimme to, to you and what you give and what you provide in this season. So, Jesus, today, may our focus be solely on you. May you shift the way that we look. Uh, to change what we focus on, to change what we look for. Because, Jesus, when we change what we look for, we change what we live for, right? And so, Jesus, we pray that this morning that, that you begin to change what we look for. And then as we begin to look for you, our lives look different. Um, we, we thank you that this season is all about the beginning of your life that came to set us free, like we sang this morning. You're the God that saves, and you rescue us, and we love you for that. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Yeah, so it's a great, great, this is one of my favorite, I love like the Advent season in church, right? I, I love it. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's one of my favorite times of the year. So Advent, like we said, is, is this tradition that goes all the way back to the 5th century. So all the way back to the 5th century church, way back in the day, they all got together and they kind of chose, they, they, they tried to figure out like what, what's going to be the symbol, what's going to be the thing that, that represents this Advent season. And because 5th century people were like true party animals, they went with a wreath, 
right? Like, ain't nobody party like fifth century party, right? Because a fifth century party uses wreaths. Um, like, I don't know, back in the day, I'm sure that was wild. Like, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go out and get some greens, and we're going to put, like, four candles in it. It's going to be, cra- and they're like, yes! Like, it was crazy. Like, they loved it. So a traditional Advent wreath has these four candles. And like we said, these four candles represent the weeks that lead up to Christmas, right? There's four candles on the outside, and each one of those represents a different promise in the midst of this season. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And at and, and the end of Advent, what we'll do is we'll drop a fifth candle right in the middle, and that represents Jesus, right? So you've got all of these things, hope, peace, joy, and love, that are built around and are centered around Jesus which is at the middle of all of this, right? So each week in the lead up to Christmas, what you do is you light another candle. But here's what happens. Here's what happens to things like Advent, right? Over the years, certain aspects of this get lost in translation, right? Like we've got some some Christmas traditions maybe even in our own family that get lost in translation. They kind of become old-fashioned. And as they do that, as they get lost in translation, as we kind of get disconnected from some of these things, right, we get disconnected from the, the real meaning, we get disconnected from the real significance of something like this, and really, if we're being honest, we get disconnected from the real meaning and significance of this entire season. If we're going to shoot straight, that's what happens, right? The Christmas season becomes less about Jesus becomes less about grace that comes through Jesus, right, that transforming power that comes through Jesus, and it becomes more about what's under a tree. It becomes more about gifts. It becomes more about lists of things that we want. And I do that too, right? I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not throwing stones, right? I do that too. Like, I've grown up, like this year I told my wife, like, she's like, so what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, door locks, right? You know you've reached you've reached a point where it's like, what do you want? I want new bolt locks for the outside of our house that you can use your thumb to open, right? Like, that's what I want. So you'll, somebody will end up hacking those things, and, like, my door locks will just be going, rah, 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 like, all day long. But, like, we get disconnected. We get disconnected from the real meaning and the real significance of this entire season. And when this happens, when we get disconnected from Advent, right, we have something like this that, that's rooted in, like, deep spiritual truth, and it gets lost. Things that are meant to be the symbolic reminders of the promises of like real hope and real peace and real joy and real love get lost in the chaos and the stress and the anxiety and the worry of seasons like this. And here's what happens. We end up settling for or we trade real hope, real peace, real joy, and real love for conditional versions it's like, well, I'll have hope, and I'll have peace, and I'll have joy, and I'll have love, but it's based on, there's conditions around it. It's like an if-then kind of joy. If this happens, then I have joy, but if this doesn't happen, then I don't. If this happens, then I have peace, but if it doesn't, then I don't. Right? It's conditional, or it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit, which means it looks real. It might look real on the surface. It might feel real at first, but at the end of the day, it's fake. So we end up trading when we get disconnected from the real meaning of seasons like this. We end up settling for conditional or counterfeit versions of things that are real. So what is Advent? Like what is this word? What is Advent all about? The word Advent literally means this, awaiting the arrival of a notable person or event. Like that's what it means. So originally this word Advent was intended to kind of represent this anticipation that that looks forward 
to a future that is better than the present. Right? And that kind of anticipation is rooted in a confidence that comes from kind of past experience or past events. Like you can look back in the past and go, hey, you see how this happened? So now because of that, we can live in this present and anticipate something's, something better is coming. Why? Because of past experience, what our past experience tells us. One of the authors that I read this week said this, that, that a state of anticipation is critical to human existence. And I think that's true. I think that, that for people, like, we need something to look forward to, right, that future. We need something to look forward to. We need reasons and we need reminders to believe in something, right, that confidence, right? That's what confidence means, right? Confidence, Latin word, confide, with faith, right? That's what that means. Like, we need a reason to believe in something, we need reasons, right? We need reasons and reminders to choose hope right here in the present. And so when we anticipate, like, peace, we can anticipate that peace can become a reality, with it, that real peace, which isn't absence of conflict, right? Biblical peace isn't absence of conflict. It's wholeness, even in the midst of, of trials, even in the midst of conflict. Like, real peace can happen, right? It's a possibility. It's not just a pipe dream. We need to kind of believe and anticipate that, that we can have joy. Again, joy, not an emotion, it's a mindset. Joy is an attitude. Joy is a posture of our hearts. Joy is not happiness, right? Joy, joy can coexist with things like grief and mourning and disappointment. Right? That's what joy is. We need to experience a new way of living that's rooted in and fueled by love. Love, again, is, is a junk drawer word for us. Right In 2022, we throw a lot of things. We throw, we throw love at a lot of things. But the love we're kind of talking about when it comes to biblical love is this agape love. Right, It's, it's a love feast that, a father, that the Father prepares for us. Right, That's what that is. It's selfless. But I think it's also important, and, I, and, and this is one of those things, I don't know why, it, it just like it, it hit me in the face this week. I realized this. The word Advent is 66% of the name of our church. Right? Nine-letter word. Advent is six of those, right? So Advent is 66% of the name of our church, Adventure. So I started looking into this. Like, what does this mean, right? So if, if the word Advent, which is the anticipation of a future that's, that's better than the present, that's rooted in confidence and comes with the past, if that's what Advent is, I dug into what Adventure then means. Adventure is a 14th century word that means this, to pursue what would otherwise be awaited. That's like the coolest thing ever, right? It's the coolest thing ever. It's to pursue what would otherwise be, be awaited. This is us. This is who we are. And I don't know, like almost 20 years ago in a living room, when everybody got together that started this church and said, what are we going to call it? We're going to call it Adventure. I don't know if they knew that or not. I'm going to believe they did, right? I'm trusting that they did, right? But this is us. Adventurers, right? Adventurers were, were known for being people that were willing to take risks. They would risk it all. They'd take a chance on chasing after and pursuing the possibility that there was a better way to live. That's what it means to be an adventurer. You're, you're someone who's, who's willing to accept the risk that comes with pursuing a better way to live. Adventurers are people that climb mountains. Adventurers are people that chart uncharted territory, right? And here's where it ties in, right? Adventurers give their lives to the possibility of, of not just being but becoming. That's true. That's who we are. 
we are adventurers, right? Because we are adventure. And so we live in pursuit of the better that comes from Advent, right? This whole thing that's built around Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says that the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. So before we really dive in and unpack this today, let me just line out who Advent is for. Because you're like, you know, there's a part of this where we step into these kind of seasons. You're like, well, who's this really for? Like, who's Christmas, is, who's, who's Christmas for? What's, what's Advent for? Like, who, who can celebrate this? Like, who is this intended for, right? So let me just be really clear. Who Advent, and as a result, who Adventure is for? All of this, Advent and Adventure, is for those of us who are, like Bonhoeffer says, are troubled, troubled in soul. And that's what this, here's what that means. It means that there's something in the depths of us that wrestles with, that's unsettled with how things are. Like there's something in us that says, I don't think that everything we experience in our, in our culture and society, I, I don't think that this is the way that things are supposed to work. I think there's a better way to do this. It's for those of us who are, like Bonhoeffer says, spiritually bankrupt. We recognize that we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together. We're cashed out. For some of us, it means that there's nothing left in the tank. For some of us, we, 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 we crawled in here today, right? Those of us who are done with the conditional and counterfeit hope, peace, joy, and love, and we long for the real thing, that's who Advent is for. That's who adventure is for. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like maybe... The person you see looking across from you when you stare in the mirror, right? It does for me. I know that. At the core of Advent, right, we are reminded that in the flood of frustration and uncertainty and anger and fear and anxiety and depression, no matter what's happening around us, there's something that keeps telling us and keeps reminding us that there's a better way. That there's something and someone, something and someone better is coming. That life, right, isn't just more tunnel, right? It's not just more tunnel and more tunnel and more tunnel, right? But there's a light at the end, and it's coming, so just hang on. Don't give up. Jesus is coming. That's what Advent reminds us of. So for the next few weeks, what we're going to do, we're going to live in the book of Isaiah, right? And so... What's going on in the book of Isaiah is all of this happens around 700-ish years before Jesus is born. And so Isaiah, kind of right in the middle of the Old Testament, Isaiah was a prophet. And prophets back in this day were people who were chosen by God to deliver a message from him to his people. Right? So God would essentially look at a prophet and would say, like, Hey, this is what I need you to convey. This is what I need the people to know. So, so would you make sure that the people understand this, right? And he would give them a message, and then that prophet would go to the people and say, hey, here's what God says about everything that's going on in your life, about everything that's happening, about everything that's going on in the world around you. This is what God ha has to say. That's what a prophet did. And in this time, in the time of Isaiah, God's people, right, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they've let go of their relationship with him. And like many of us, like Grace talked about, when life gets difficult and when we face adversity, what happens? We go for as much control as we can possibly get our hands on. And that's what happened. 
right? We, we, what we do, the Israelites and us, we do the same thing. We, we, we try to snatch like the wheel of our lives back. And we do our best to steer our own lives. And what we do is we, we put God in the back seat. God, why don't you just ride along with me for a little bit? I'll take it from here. I think I, I think I can run my life. I think I can get myself through whatever it is I'm facing. I can do that probably better than you can. So God, why don't you sit in the back and just watch me work? That's kind of what they were doing. And so God says this, if you want to run it yourselves, go for it. We'll see how that works out for you. Spoiler alert, it didn't go well, right? So Israel was on the verge of being conquered and divided up by a group of people called the Assyrians. One thing that I read this week was that that the Assyrians had a common practice when, when they would go in and conquer another kingdom, when they would conquer another people, right, what they would do is they would begin with, like, spreading propaganda. And the first thing that they would do as they would go in and conquer a people or conquer another kingdom is they would begin to share and say things like, your God, whatever deity you have, your God has abandoned you. So you better abandon whoever your God is and worship our God. Like, that's what they would do. That was kind of their first step, is we're going to go in and we're going to unroot, right? We're going to rip these people out by the root, starting with what they believe in and what they have faith in. And so instead of trusting and relying on God, in this moment, right, the leaders of Israel, they bought into what the Assyrians were selling. And they caved. They caved on their faith, and they caved on their faithfulness to God. So speed of the leader equals speed of the team. If the leaders do that, right, most of the people, when the leaders begin to kind of let go of the rope, most of the people followed them in that. But in the midst of this, God begins to speak to Isaiah and asks him to deliver this message to this small group of people that were still holding on to their faith in the midst of all of this, being conquered, being overrun, All this propaganda, all of this pressure to cave, to let go, to believe in what we believe. There's this small group of people that chose to hang on to their belief and their trust in God. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up or Bible app. Isaiah chapter 8 is where we're going to live. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Here's what it says. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11, it says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. This is God talking to Isaiah. And he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, right, the Assyrians, saying, do not call conspiracy, which the word conspiracy means unlawful alliance. It says, do not call conspiracy or unlawful alliance all that these people call conspiracy, which that sentence right there means this, don't align yourselves with what they say you need to align yourself to. Like, basically, God's saying, don't enter into any kind of unlawful alliance with any other people or any other God. Don't align yourself with them. And he goes on, he says, do not fear what they fear. Which means this, fear, like in this day, like fear didn't, wasn't like an emotion, like scared. Fear doesn't mean the same thing as scared or, or terrified, right? Fear means to, like, revere, have reverence for, or be in awe of. And so, again, God is saying, like, don't align yourself with what they choose to align themselves to. And he says this, don't revere, don't show reverence to or don't show awe to any of the things that they show reverence and awe to. Like, don't do that. Don't give up. And then God says, nor be in dread. Don't be afraid. But he says this, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. 
right? We've talked about what that word holy means. That word holy was the word that they chose to describe the fact that God is unlike anything else, right? It describes the uniqueness, the unlike any otherness of God. There is nothing and no one like him. God says, listen, I'm holy. Honor me as unlike anything else. Let me be your fear, right? Let me be the one that you show reverence to. He says, let me be your dread, which I think is interesting because you read that and go like, hold on. Like God wants us to literally be afraid of him? No, so this word dread actually has two meanings. And it's interesting because Isaiah, when he talks about the Assyrians, he uses the word like don't be afraid of them. But when he talks about God, it's the other use, which is this, be in awe. Let me be the one that you show reverence to and let me be the one that you show awe to. And God says this, and he'll become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it they shall fall and be broken they shall be snared and taken I read in a commentary about these last like these last couple of verses and one of the commentaries said that that the English language cannot even come close to encapsulating the force of those last few verses right just the force of nature of these last few verses. Like, it just, like, we can't come close to, can we talk about when you let go of the rope, when you begin to get disconnected from everything that roots you in your faith, right? Everything that roots us in this anticipation, this hope, this peace, this this love, this joy, all of that. Here's what happens. You're going to stumble, you'll fall, and you'll be broken. You'll be snared, and you will be taken. You'll be dragged away by something that's not real. Or by something that's conditional. And if you skip down to verse 20, here's what Isaiah says. He says, to the teaching and to the testimony, right, to the truth and to the story of God. He says this, if they will not speak according to this word, right, scripture, it's because they have no dawn. Which is this, not even a hint of light. If they're not willing to speak of the truth and the story of God, there is not even a hint of light in them. And so this is the result. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They will turn their faces upward and then they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Merry Christmas. Like, you, like, this isn't very Christmassy at all. But here's what Isaiah is doing, and I want you to catch this. Isaiah is showing us what happens when we buy into and when we align ourselves with a conditional and counterfeit version of Advent. This is what will happen. In counterfeit and conditional Advent, we align with, we await, and we count on something or someone to provide hope, peace, joy, and love that never could and never really intended to provide those things in the first place. Here's what he wants us to know. Counterfeit Advent doesn't seek to give. It will always ask for more. But counterfeit Advent comes in kind of sneaky. It comes in looking like it wants to provide, but as, it, as it's appearing to provide with one hand, it's just taken with the other. It doesn't want to give, it just wants to ask for more. Counterfeit Advent is a false light 
right? It's a flame that goes out at the first sign of trouble. And instead of providing for you like it said it would, well, let's make it a little more personal. Instead of providing for you like they promised they would, they bail. And in the end, instead of being full, we end up empty and hungry. We feel empty spiritually. We feel empty emotionally. We feel empty mentally. We feel empty and hungry physically, right? We, we just feel empty. There's an emptiness to us, and there's a hunger, and there's a longing for us, right? And it's not just for the things that we put in our mouth that goes into our stomach. It's a hunger for affection. It's a hunger for attention. It's a hunger for something. It's hunger for security, someone to, to, for, for a real relationship. And instead of peace... We find anger, anxiety, and worry. And instead of light and life, like Isaiah says, it's distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. But again, get this, not just any darkness. For Isaiah, when we align with a counterfeit advent, it leads us to being thrust into thick darkness. But here's what I want us to do. Look back at verses 16 and 17. In the midst of all of this, right, we skipped over these verses on purpose, right? In the midst of all of this, here's what Isaiah says. Bind up the testimony. Make sure we, and bind up, right, he says seal the teaching. And this is really interesting because when people back in the day would write on scrolls and they would bind it up, they would, they would tie it up or they would put a seal on it, it was to protect the integrity of the message, right? So when you would get a scroll or something like that with a seal on it and the seal was unbroken, you knew no one had tampered with this message that was given to you. So he says, listen, bind it up and seal it. Make sure that it, the integrity of this message stays solid. He says, seal the teaching among my disciples. Here's what I'll do. I'll wait for the Lord. Who right now I know it feels like he's hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. In the house of Jacob, Jacob got his name changed to Israel. He says the house of Jacob. He's talking about the nation of Israel. So what Isaiah is saying here is that even though this is happening, even though there's a lot of evidence to to the fact that things really are are not going to get better, Things are just getting worse. Still, I'll put my hope in God. And there's something really interesting that that happens here. This word for hope, right? This is the first week of Advent. This week is built on hope. It's built around hope like Zoe shared, right? This word hope that we find in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, right? This word that Isaiah uses here, it's actually two words smashed together. The first word for hope is this Hebrew word. It's a fun one to say, yachal. Right, you can clear out the back of your throat, right? Which literally means this, to wait for something. That's what it means. And then the second word that he smashes together is chava. It's another one. You get, like, get that Ohio Valley crud right, out of the back of your throat. And that means this. It means, it means it's used to describe the tension in a rope, right? So when you pull a rope tight, right, that rope is chava. Like it's tight. There's tension in the rope. And here's what this means. When you put all this together, when you smash these two words together, hope in the Bible is about choosing to wait and trust and expect that God will show up in the midst of tension. So when he says, I will hope, When Isaiah uses this word hope, what he's saying is this, I am choosing to trust that God will show up. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to advent, to expect that he's going to show up. And so here's what happens. I'm going to navigate, I'm going to sit in, and I'm going to live in the tension of everything that's going on around me. And we go, that's impossible. Some of us 
did this this week. You sat in a living room with extended family and relatives in the midst of tension, and you're like, get me out of here. We, we hate it. Like, human beings, we hate tension. Like, we hate when they feel like there's tension between us and somebody else. It's like, we got to figure this out. we got to deal with this, right? Especially, you start thinking about tension that doesn't seem like it's going to be re- re- resolved anytime soon. Like, there's, there's tension, and we can't fix it. There's tension, and no matter how bad I want it to go away, it's just not going to go away. So imagine just kind of sitting and waiting in that, right? It's torture. And so you, you think about somebody that's in Isaiah's position, right? He's going, I'm going to wait in the midst of all of this tension. I'm going to wait. I look at that and go, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if you, I don't, how do you expect me to do that? Like my, my conversation with Isaiah, right, in my living room was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that I can wait like you wait. Isaiah, you got to give me something. How, like, how do I do this? We flip over a page to chapter 9. Here's what he says. He says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on. And here's the thing. I'm switching translations. I just need you to know this. So this is the New Living translation. And the reason I'm switching to this is because when you get into some of this Old Testament language, sometimes it can be really hard to understand. So the ESV, great way to read it, right? The ESV is going to give you an accurate translation. The New Living translation is going to give you the idea, right? So this is like the concept that Isaiah is wanting to get across. So this is a little easier to understand as we dive into some of this stuff. So here's what he says. Nevertheless, In this time of darkness and despair, it's not going to go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but he says there is a time coming in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, the northern part of the kingdom where Jesus is from, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. He says, you, God, will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They'll rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. For you're going to break the yoke of the slavery, and you're going to lift the heavy burden off their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian. We'll unpack that here in a second. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms that are blood-stained by war will be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. What Isaiah describes as you flip over from this kind of thick darkness in chapter 8 to chapter 9, he's describing what's to come. This is Advent. Isaiah is adventing. He's describing what's to come. He's anticipating a future that's better than their present, that's rooted in confidence that comes from his past experience with God. And so here's what happens. Our anticipation when it comes to Advent, our anticipation of the better future, right, the trust that we can have in the present tension and the confidence that we can have in the past is possible because God has his hands in all of it. Past, present, and future. The first place that Isaiah points to is the past. Isaiah points back to God's past track record, to things that have already happened. He says, you you guys remember how we rejoice when the harvest comes in, right? When God provides. Remember how we do that? How God's provided for us? You remember that? You know what that's like? Well, we can rejoice like that now. And we we can rejoice like that in what's to come. He provided like that before, so we can trust, if he's done it before, that he'll do it again. You remember, do you remember, he's again pointing back to, do you remember when he led us out of slavery? Out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt and gave us a home. Do you remember when God helped us win this battle at Midian? Crazy story. 
awesome story in the Bible. I hope to make a movie, movie about it one day. Gideon, right, has this army, and he's like, hey, listen, these, this army is all wrong. Like, we go out and fight. If we go out and fight, we're going to lose with this army. And God says, well, find 300 other dudes. And so Gideon just finds like 300 normal guys and goes out and fights and wins this battle against a warrior army. It's crazy. You remember that? And so Isaiah's going, do you, remember, do you remember when that happened? You remember when 300 dudes just went out and won? It's like that. So Isaiah wants us to know when we look in the past, if God has already done that, if God has already done what he said he can do in the past, then he can do it now in the present, and we can count on what he says he's going to do in the future. So when's that going to happen? What's going to happen? Go on to verse 6. Here's what he said. For, for to us... A child is born. This is the, the core statement of this chapter. Everything kind of builds around this. For a child is born. Like this is the reason. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Again, calling back on, hey, if God can do it before, he can do it now, he can do it then. So I love this, this moment. Isaiah throws the past, the present, and the future into a blender and just presses the on button. He's talking, if you catch this, Isaiah is talking about things that are to come in the future, but he's referring to them in both the past and the present tense. The word will, right, is used 12 times in the verses we just read, and it's used over 30 times in chapters 9, 10, and 11, which chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Isaiah talk about Jesus, right? The word will is used over 30 times. Isaiah, he talks about something that's going to happen as if it's already happened and as if it's currently happening. I think that's the coolest thing. That's what real Advent does. If you want to know what real Advent looks like, real Advent, here's what it does. It remembers the promises that are fulfilled in the past. And as it remembers the promises that are fulfilled in the past, it pursues a better way to live in the present. And as it pursues a better way to live in the present, it believes in the guarantees of the future. And that's what makes all of this work, right? What makes all of this work, what Isaiah says, what's going to make real Advent possible is none other than Jesus. This is the core. Everything that God has done in the past is building to, right? Everything that he's doing in the present, right, is building to and will run through Jesus. It builds to and it flows out of Jesus. And for the next few weeks, as we wrap up today, where we're going to live is in these four names, right? The four names that we see given to Jesus, right? Real hope, real peace, real love, real joy. It's only possible, why? Because Jesus is this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, right? These four names. And he will be called. But I learned something really cool this week. And maybe this is like, everybody knows this. 
Like I said, I'm, I, I like books with pictures, okay? So, like, in the, in, I learned something cool this week. In, in the ancient Near East, right, so where, where Israel was, right, it was part of a, of a cultural custom in the Near East that when a king ascended the throne, when a king took a throne, they would assign the king, as they ascended the throne, something called throne names, and throne names for kings, they spoke to the qualities and accomplishments of the one who was becoming king, the one who would be king. And so what we have to understand is that these titles that we see in Isaiah, these famous titles, right, they've written songs about a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. They're not just nice little titles. They're not just encouraging words about Jesus. Isaiah was following along with kind of the ancient custom of assigning Jesus his throne names. And most throne names back in this day, they were separate from one another. Like they were contained, like self-contained. So if it were me, it would be like King Brad, the husband, right? The dad, the pastor, the UK football fan, right? Just wore a little bit of blue today, not a whole lot. I'm trying to stay neutral, right? They would be self-contained. They'd be self-contained. That mean that here's what they meant, right? Here's kind of what these throne names meant. That meant that at some point, either you were whatever your throne name said you were, or if you needed to become whatever your throne name said you were, you could become those things, right? But they were self-contained. It was there if you needed it. But there's something really interesting that Isaiah does, and I know I'm nerding out on this, but go with me here, right? When Isaiah writes this in the original language, he doesn't separate Jesus' throne names. In the original language, they, would have, they wouldn't even have had spaces between them. So it would have looked something like this. In the original language, Isaiah didn't separate, didn't put any punctuation or any spaces between any one of Jesus' throne names. And the reason for that is this, there's never a point in Jesus' life or in time when he's not these things. Separated throne names mean you can kind of step in and step out of those things. Isaiah, on purpose, doesn't separate Jesus' throne names because he's never not this. Jesus never stops. This is who Jesus is all of the time. And Isaiah doubles down on this when he says, listen, these names, right, the, the, the type of rule that Jesus is going to have, his government won't end. Just like there's no space between who Jesus is, there's no end to what Jesus can do. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into these throne names of Jesus. Because here's what happens. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we can lean into the light and life that comes from real Advent. Because that's who this is built around. You want to be able to step more further into this, more fully into this, you got to get to know Jesus. Real Advent, here's what it does. It remembers the promises that are fulfilled in the past. It pursues a better way to live in the present. And it believes in the guarantees of the future. And so what I want to do is I want to close out with what Isaiah has to say in chapter 11. Kind of as he closes this section about Jesus. Because this is what to co- what's to come. And I don't know about you. But in the season that we're in, the season of life that we're in, the status and state of the world around us, there's part of me that needs to know this is who Jesus has been, this is who Jesus is, and this is who Jesus will be. And he's never not 
Jesus never takes a day off. Jesus never sends it to voicemail. I love what Isaiah says here. He says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Basically this. It's, hey, listen, I know things look bad now. But something's coming. He says, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old one. And he says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. And I love this. Because Jesus ain't weak. The earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness and the belt of truth like an undergarment, like it's a part of who he is. In that day, he says, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. And the nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Church, let me just tell you this. Light is most effective in dark places. And where Jesus lives in us, there is the light and life of real Advent. And this is a season where much of the world is walking in thick darkness, looking up for answers, and looking down and finding despair, where they need to look into the adventurers, the people who pursue what is awaited, and see the light that they're longing for. That's what this season is about. It's a time for us as believers in Jesus in the midst of chaos, in the midst of tension, to have hope, to remember the promises that have been fulfilled in the past that allow us to pursue a better way of living in the present while looking forward to the guarantees of the future, all because of Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna worship. And today, if, if, if you don't know Jesus, I would love to help you get to know him. He's pretty great. He is the king. He is the king of everything. He loves you. Get this, he also likes you. And he wants you to know him. He wants to save your life. And he can do that. So if you want to get to know Jesus today, I would love to meet with you. I'll be down front. If you need prayer today, I, I know this season sometimes it's like, look, just pray for me, right? Would love to do that. If you need to spend some time at the cross, like we've got a cross right here that you can spend some time and just have a conversation with Jesus. He'd love to hear from you. If you want to learn more about our church, if you're new here today, you want to learn more about adventure, want to join, be a part of the adventurers, right? Who, who we will climb mountains and we will chart uncharted territory and this church is willing to risk it all for the sake of those who are lost. It's one of the things I love about our church. We are unashamed in our pursuit of a better way to live and for those who are lost. That's who we are. Welcome to Advent. You're welcome to be an adventurer. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. And we love you. This morning we thank you that we can look back into your word and see every moment where you've been faithful, where you've never let us down, where you've never failed. In that, we can survive the present tension that we live in while also choosing to live a different way, the way that you say to live. It's better. 
And it's not just surviving in a present tension. It's, it's thriving because we can look forward to the guarantees of the future. That one day, because you said you will, you'll come back. Our king will return. And at that moment, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you're Lord. So, so we hope today. We hope in the midst of tension. We wait and we trust. Because your promises never fail. Jesus, we love you. Today we pray. Amen.